finally your time to go. You pass away at a ripe old age, just the right age, where you still have your health and your cognitive facilities, but you're ready to go. You're surrounded by your children and grandchildren and some of your closest friends, and finally, you slip away. And you realize that you're in heaven. And there in the distance are the pearly gates. And you see standing in front of the pearly gates the one you've waited your whole life to see, the one you've dedicated your life to serving. And as you get closer, the crowds part, and he turns and looks at you. And you have that moment you have dreamt of for years, and you come face to face with your Lord and Savior, Charles Schwab. And he puts his hands on your shoulders and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You did an amazing job of wealth management. And then he grimaces a little and says, a little piece of bad news, you can't take it with you. Now, I don't think that's what anyone is hoping for, but are you living your life like that's your ultimate goal? Having said that, I wanna pause and thank you for showing up. Two weeks ago, I said we were going to talk about money and you still showed up. I'm so glad you did. Money's hard to talk about, but it's really important. Years ago, I was teaching about divorce, and there was a family that was going through a really sad situation. I talked to one of the adult children afterwards and said, please no, I wasn't thinking about you. I wouldn't do anything that would be hurtful to you or your family. And he gave me a gift. He said, Michael, if you had to worry about every possible way someone might be offended, you'd never be able to say anything. And that's true. Money can be a touchy subject. Probably the only one who knows the whole truth about your resources is you. Some of you are in really dire straits. Some of you are taking care of family members in very expensive facilities. Some of you have kids in college. Some of you are out of work or maybe even underemployed. I mean, there are so many reasons why money might be tight. I remember one time I paid our mortgage twice by accident and it was a real crisis. I had to call and borrow money from a family member so we could cover it. I know what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck. I know what it's like to have more month at the end of the money. I know what it's like to watch other people do stuff that you can't afford to do, whether it's buying things, going places, or giving substantially. I get that. I sympathize. Heck, I empathize. So I'm gonna ask you to listen to this knowing that I understand. And the last thing I want to do is be offensive. What I want to be is encouraging and challenging. And honestly, we're not really talking about money. We're talking about our hearts. So we're continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So our context is the Sermon on the Mount. We've been talking about the community that Jesus is setting up. This is primarily a verse about discipleship. This is about unreservedly following Jesus. 
and using Jesus and his teachings for your guide about how you handle one of the most challenging areas of your life, your resources. So let's unpack this a bit. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The key word is treasure. And in order to get into what Jesus is talking about, let's think of it first as a verb rather than as a noun. To treasure, an action, rather than treasure, an object. Something becomes a treasure to us because we treasure it. If we don't treasure it, it's not treasure. And I think of the saying, one person's trash is another person's treasure. That gets at the idea. So the first thing we need to do is ask, what do I treasure? We may not really know, or we may have deluded ourselves, or we may not want to be honest with ourselves or others. I think this quote is helpful. We reveal what our treasures are by what we try to protect, secure, keep. You may or may not treasure your marriage. How do you tell? Do you try to protect, secure, and keep it? You may or may not treasure friendships. How do you tell? Do you try to protect, secure, and keep them? You may or may not treasure your financial resources. How do you tell? Well, that might be a little trickier because obviously you need to protect your resources. You don't just leave your credit card lying around or a wad of cash on your dashboard. But if to protect, secure, and keep your wealth is the focus of your life, then it probably is what you treasure. So figure out what you treasure and then take a look at what characterizes those treasures. Are they, in Jesus' words, treasures on earth or treasures in heaven? What is Jesus really getting at there? Are they of lasting value? Are they something that you can trust in yesterday, today, and forever? People have these moments of clarity after a fire or an earthquake or a tornado or a burglary. You hear people say, we lost everything, but it's just stuff. The important thing is that everyone is okay. And that's getting to the heart of it. And I think that's the position that we're aiming for. It's just stuff. Yes, we can buy cool stuff. Yes, we can do fun things. Yes, we can create memories. But in the end, the treasures of the earth, material things, by definition, pass away. So moths were known to destroy things. The notoriously difficult word, sometimes translated as vermin or rust, literally means it gets eaten away. And I think we get that. Anyone who has ever owned a home knows that thing is constantly getting eaten away. The car wears out. The sea eventually claims the boat. Inflation plays havoc with your finances. It all gets eaten away. It doesn't mean that we don't enjoy them for a time. We do. It means that you can't build ultimate happiness on them because they're temporary. Instead, lay up treasures in heaven. What does that mean? Not stars in your crown or whatever. It means take the longer view. What's ultimately going to be of lasting importance? The idea is to invest your life in what God is doing. Now, here's where we get into trouble. We believe that God is going to make us do stuff we don't want to do. Whether it's with our time, our money, our lifestyle, or just in general. As opposed to Jesus who basically says, if you follow me, you will have a life filled with joy and hope and significance. 
So we are intrigued with Jesus. We go a ways down that, that path, but no further because we're afraid it will make us weird. And we have plenty of evidence to point in that direction. And then we stop. And we wonder why we don't experience joy and hope and peace in our everyday lives. When we invest in what God is doing, we invest in what God wants for us. So treasure how you're growing in your relationship to Jesus and how that affects for the good all of the other areas of your life. Treasure that God promises that he will never leave you or forsake you. Treasure that God wants to use you for his plans and purposes. Treasure the people that God has brought into your life. Treasure the opportunity that you have for making a difference in other people's lives. Invest in those things. They'll last forever. So Jesus isn't saying that we can't enjoy our possessions or our resources, but they can't be the things that we treasure because they won't last. Then verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The heart is a symbol for your true inner person, who you really are stripped bare. The key word in the passage is treasure, and this is the key verse. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, tell me what you treasure, and I'll tell you who you are and whose you are. We used to have some friends, Linnell and Bob, and Bob was really into cars, so Linnell was too. Linnell said, I knew if I wanted to marry Bob that I'd need to be into cars. That's what he treasured. That's who he was. That's what owned his heart. He seemed to like Linnell too, but cars were his first priority. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So this seems like a typical Jesus non sequitur. I'm not following you here, Jesus. And it's a hard verse. What do your eyes have to do with how you handle your resources? The idea is not that the eye creates its own light, but that's how light comes into the body. It's how we see. It's a major way of how we perceive the world around us. What and how we see will always tell us something about ourselves. I mean, we may say they're wearing rose-colored glasses. We mean their perception of reality is off. And that's what Jesus is getting at, how our perception affects our reality. In the two examples, if your eyes are healthy, the word for healthy in Greek has the implication of generous. If your eyes are unhealthy, the word for unhealthy in Greek has the implication of stingy. If you're living generously, then you'll be filled with light. If you're stingy, then you will be in the dark. And then connect it to your heart in the previous verse. If the eye of your heart is not functioning, then you'll be in the dark about everything. Light and darkness are a pretty big biblical theme. It's a call to see things for what they really are, to value what is really valuable, not things that aren't. There are some very dark things that start out looking really shiny, and if you don't see them for what they are, you'll end up in a very dark place. Think of all the celebrities with plenty of money and fame and power who end up dead at a young age. Think of family members or friends who became addicted to something and it ruined their lives. Or someone who made a really, really bad choice 
because they were blind to the consequences. That's the idea. To be generous is to say, I trust you, God. To be stingy, to hoard, is basically to say, I don't trust you, God. And I think this is where we begin to lay out who we expect to meet at the pearly gates. Jesus goes on, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's unpack hate. I've said and will continue to say, don't hate anyone ever. Jesus talks about loving our neighbors. He says his followers will be known by our love. John asks, how can we say we love God if we don't love our brothers and sisters? But then there's also this other funky verse where Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Hating our father and mother? I mean, that can't be right. Honoring your father and mother makes it into the Ten Commandments. So hating in the sense of hate can't really be what we're going for here. It's actually a much softer contrast word. You can't serve two masters. One will become more important than the other. It's why employers generally don't want their employees to moonlight. The other job will begin to take precedence. And that's what it's about. It's about precedence. If you truly love and treasure God, then all the money and resources in the world will never pull you away from him. If you truly treasure your money, you'll never be able to be free of its siren's call to keep seeking more of it. The things that we treasure, the master that we serve, we will seek more of those things. And it will put us on a path and we have to ask, where does this path lead? To light or to darkness? Now, there's two questions that I want to deal with for a moment. The first is, whose money is it? Are you the owner or are you a steward? We had a guy in our church a while ago who was actually in a quasi-leadership position, and he left our church over money. It actually happens occasionally. And he said, it's my money, I worked hard for it, and I'm not going to give it away. I made it, I own it, I'll spend it however I want, and I choose on me. Well, okay then, I at least appreciate you being honest. It actually reminds me of a scene in The Man Who Invented Christmas, a biography of Charles Dickens as he was writing a Christmas carol. A couple is talking to Dickens and he says, Mr. Dickens, I am a self-made man. And his wife says, well, except for the factory that daddy gave us when we got married. You see, I think it's easy to forget to give credit to everyone who helped you along the way. Or to forget that in addition to good choices and hard work, you had opportunity sometimes just dumb luck, and for whatever reason, the grace of God. Most of what we have is a gift that's entrusted to us. We might have had some agency in it, to be sure, but most of it is a gift nonetheless. We recognize it as a gift from God that he gives us to steward. It's his resources that we have, and we have to decide what would bring the kingdom of God the biggest return on the investment. Back during the uh, real estate bubble crash in 2009, it didn't really affect us until about 2011. And I had a friend, longtime member of our church, supportive family, been involved in all sorts of levels, and their business took a hit during that time. 
And because he knew that the church would also take a hit, we had to cut over $100,000 one year out of our budget. Even though his business was, had just completely tanked, he had a home equity line of credit. And every month he paid his regular tithe out of the home equity line of credit because he wanted to still give to the church. Another story. Years ago, it's been more than a decade now, Megan's best friend, her lifelong best friend, got a horrific form of brain cancer. And of course, you know, nothing's covered by insurance. And Megan found out about this and she came home and she sat me down on the couch and she said, we have to sell our house. I'm like, we do? Why? So we have to sell our house and we have to give the money to our friends because they need the help. Now, would we have sold our house? No, but I would have taken out a second mortgage on it to take our friends. So paying tithe out of a HELOC, he knew it was cyclical. The business came back. Mortgaging your house to help your friends, it doesn't make any sense to do that. It's financially irresponsible, isn't it? Well, it just all depends on how you look at it. It just depends on your perspective. Kevin Kelly, the guy that I've been quoting recently said, when you give away 10% of your income, you lose 10% of your purchasing power, which is minor compared to the 110% increase in the happiness you'll gain, in addition to the ROI for the kingdom of God. Maybe it does or maybe it doesn't make good sense from a wealth management point of view to dip into a HELOC or to mortgage your home. It depends on your point of view and maybe who you really expect to meet you at the pearly gates, Charles Schwab or Jesus. And honestly, if you don't have a friend that you would mortgage your house for, I kind of feel like you're the impoverished one. If you don't have a cause that you're willing to fund, I kind of feel like you're the impoverished one. You are missing out on so much joy. Whose money is it? If you think it's yours, that you're the owner, you'll spend it one way. If you believe that everything you have you hold and trust from God, you'll look at your resources another way. I think about this in very practical ways. We have a benevolence fund which helps out with relatively small needs, usually in the $500 range. But we have families in our church with much greater needs. People who've suffered tragic financial situations or traumatic health problems. What's our responsibility for them? Whenever I think of praying for them and not doing much else, I kind of cringe. And I think of Jesus saying, it's not helpful to say, be warm, be clothed, be fed. You have to do something. But it would come at a cost. I think about what we take for granted. Going to Silverwood or Disneyland or camping at the beach with our families. Do you know how many families in our areas can't afford to do those things? What if you purchased tickets to Disneyland for a family that you know? What if you bought them a day at the zoo? What if you knew someone who was truly struggling financially and you called Penn Light and paid their bill for them? You can do that. The next question is, when is enough enough? I think the biggest challenge for us is not to buy into the lie that more is better because someone else will always have a nicer house, a bigger boat, or take better vacations. 
And preschool graduations do not need to include limo rides. At some point, you have to decide not to buy into believing that whatever you want, you deserve. At some point, you have to look around and say, the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. At some point, you have to look around and say, I have what I need and more. How can I share? As we walk through the Jesus way and see the type of community that Jesus is establishing, we realize that we really have to make a choice on whether we're in or out on which side we're going to play, on which master we're going to serve. You know, it's said that there are only two guarantees in life, death and taxes. But after years of experience, I'd add the goodness of God. And that gives me the ability to trust God with my finances. So let me ask you three questions. Number one, what do you treasure? Number two, how would seeing yourself as a steward of what God has given you change your life? And number three, how will you know when enough is enough? Hi, thanks for watching. The people of Harbor Covenant Church really want you to know the love that God has for you want to grow with you in faith, and want to serve alongside you, not only to help others do the same, but also to make our families and our communities better. If that sounds like something that you can get on board with, then like, follow, and drop us a comment in the video. Watch some more videos on our channel or come visit us on Sunday. You can find out more about Harbor Covenant Church at harborcove.church.